This is a Charles Russell Speechlease podcast. It's my pleasure this morning to host the second in our series of podcasts about the hospitality industry post-pandemic. Last time, Frank, Nigel and Ingrid focused on real estate and restructuring, and today we'll be looking at re-examining your proposition. For many hospitality businesses, the last 10 to 15 years have been all about growth, and we spoke a lot last time about the expansion of menus and sites and concepts. So my question to you this morning is, should we expect to see growth like this following reopening? We've seen changes in concepts over the last 12 months with the growth of meal kits and DIY restaurant offerings, and they don't seem to be going anywhere. But should we expect to see continued growth or are you anticipating that operators will actually begin scaling back their offerings? Of course, you are right, because that has that is the way that the hospitality um, sector has grown um, over the last 10 to 15 years. It has been debt fueled. I think what you will see is uh, the days of um, the days of hearing and reading about restaurant businesses, you know, confirming um, aggressive growth plans. I think I think they're over. So I don't think you'll be reading about so and so restaurant business having an ambition of you know opening a hundred or you know fifty restaurants the next year and the next year and thereafter. I think I think those aggressive growth plans are um, are, are certainly are certainly on hold if not if not um, um, if not cancelled. Um, I think I think it is what has been quite interesting. Um, I, I think over the last um, year or so is 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 the the, the ability of restaurant companies to um, expand into different channels. So um, the the DIY sort of the the meal kit at home is is a very obvious example. And, and many many restaurant businesses have been able to um, create sensible um, you know income streams. By addressing this sort of this this sort of different uh, uh, meal occasion, um, so I think I, I can't really see why that would stop um, going forward because it is a different occasion to to take away or, or obviously to going out to a, to a restaurant going forward. We, we don't know to what extent um, the de- or to what extent demand will remain as restaurants reopen and are able to, um, you know, to serve customers indoors and, and, um, you know, and outdoors. Um, but I can't, I can't quite see that disappearing. Um, and then delivery has been a phenomenon in the last sort of four or five years. And that's, that's, that will, that can only really continue. I think that's an, that's, that's an important part of, of how we consume and, uh, 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 you know, restaurant food. Um, so I think those things will, will stay the same. I think you'll see, um, I think you will see um, restaurants with smaller menus. So I think one of the ways of combating this intense competition that we've seen in the last you know, couple of decades was to expand the menu. So you, as Nigel, I think, said in the previous podcast, there was um, that that was one of the strategies that, that a restaurant would employ. You'd put a steak on, you'd put chicken on, you'd put whatever on. To, to try and to try and um, um, persuade customers to visit, um, I, I think I think I think that uh, that will uh, be reduced. Um, I think I think restaurants will will start to focus much more keenly on on um, on what they're good at and have a much narrower offer, offering. 
Um, so, um, and, and I think, and I think, um, I, I think we will see. Um, we will see a reduction in capacity. Um, we, we, we chatted again uh, about this in the previous um, podcast. I think there will be closures. There already have been closures and capacity removed from the market. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we get to post June the 30th. I think Ingrid, Ingrid talked about the, the, the moratorium coming to an end, but I, I don't wish to be... Um, very negative or the or a doom monger but but i do think that that post 30th of june there will be further capacity removed from the market i think there will be restaurant businesses that that will not be able to reach um a, a sort of a, a consensus um with their landlords whether whether it's via legal uh, via a legal process or 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 or, or, or on their own um so th those are that's what my crystal ball says for the future I think um, something, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that the government has done uh, in recent months, which hopefully will help um, businesses find ways through this, is the relaxation of the planning laws. So from uh, the beginning of last September, um, retail office food and drink, leisure, um, that all used to be different planning classes are now lumped in together in new um, planning class E. And that should make it easier for operators to be able to um, pursue innovation in their industries. And we were seeing these fantastic um, new concepts coming through before COVID interrupted everything, which were sort of a quite different mix of uh, all, all sorts of different things, um, you know, really exciting for the consumer. And absolutely, in my view, the, the, the way the industry needs to be going, um, you know, mixing everything up. Uh, obviously, it's not just planning that's going to, uh, that, that, that operators have to comply with, they have to agree with their landlords about what their use is going to be, um, but it, it, it opens up um, possibilities in a way that they weren't available before, and I hope that that makes a really positive impact in the industry. I think, though, that, 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 that um, organisations and CEOs, CFOs are going to have to be a bit careful. So what I mean by that is that, again, historically in the last 20 years, and Frank will know this, success was incremental growth. It was 2% like for like, 5% like for like. And you opened new stores and you added to your menu to try and satisfy different customer demands. Um, <clears throat> I think as we come back after COVID, I suspect, who knows, there's going to be a surge in demand. So we're all... I think we were joking before about people sitting out and having a beer in the snow and, and, the, and the joys of the UK uh, spring weather. I think there's going to be a surge in demand. So I think where companies have got to be careful, they're going to be experiencing a surge in demand at a time when cash flow is going to be incredibly tight coming off the back of COVID. And I think where they've got a number of different vehicles that they could choose to back. Whether that, and we're working with Coat, which is a fantastic organization. They've had a very successful Coat at home meal kit business. Um, so there are companies that have done uh, meal kits. There are companies that have done well off the back of Deliveroo and home delivery. And then there are companies, of course, that are going to return to 
what they did, serving food in a restaurant, some with gardens, some without. So this, this demand profile is going to be different to what it was pre-COVID. So as you sort of assess what your demand profile is going to be, whilst your cash flow and investment is tight, I think it's going to be really important for organisations, as I think I mentioned in the last, last conversation, to really understand what they do well and to keep that simple and distinct. And that has advantages from a customer proposition, that simplicity, that clarity, but it also has advantages from a cost perspective as well. The, the creep in menu, the creep in different types of offers led to increased cost, reduction in margin, because we're trying to satisfy vegan, we're trying to satisfy home delivery, we're trying to satisfy boxes. That means different packaging, that means different ingredients, that means different complexity, different operations in the, in the actual restaurant itself. And if we're coming off the back of this closed period with tight cash flow, with an increase in surge in demand, being really clear about what you're going to do and having a tight control over the costs and where you're going to do it, I think is going to be really important. Look at the things that you need to do, make sure you can afford to do them and it's simple operationally and make sure the supply chain is in place to, to supply that proposition. Thanks, Nigel. I think that's a, a really interesting point. And I think this question is probably directed to you, Nigel, as our sort of procurement expert, but how do you think people can adapt their supply chain to improve their proposition? How, you know, is there, other than obviously working with Procure4, which is obviously one way to do it, um, are there other, uh, what, what in, in a general principle sense can people be doing when they look at their supply chain to make sure that it is at its most efficient and it is operating, you know, in the best possible way for the business? Well, well, I think one of the things that the, the hospitality, leisure, casual dining, whatever we're talking here, sector can do is learn from other sectors. So we're currently working with a, a food manufacturer and we're helping them with something that in that sector is, is called sales and operations planning. And I think some of the principles of that could translate very well to hospitality in a post-COVID world. So, so basically, traditionally, the development chef or the management team within an organization would decide that they want to have, let's say, more vegan items on the menu. And they design what those items would need to look like from a consumer perspective, and they'd add them. And then they would ask procurement to source the material for that. And they'd look at the operation and say, what's the impact that we now need in terms of additional um, uh, kitchenware because it has to be separate, additional staff to prepare it, et cetera, et cetera. So almost like a step-by-step -step process. Design what you're going to do, look at the impact on your operation, ask procurement to go and source it. In a manufacturing world, in a good manufacturing world, that's not how it happens. How it happens is they say, right, what we need to do is satisfy this customer demand, but we need to do it in a way which is incredibly efficient for our factories and in a way that doesn't drive additional costs into our supply chain. So what they say is, okay, I could have 10 extra items, but if I do that, I'm going to have four or five extra suppliers. I'm going to reduce the leverage on my existing suppliers because the volume there is going to drop. I'm going to have extra lines in the factory, et cetera, et cetera. So by introducing that 
menu proposition, I've introduced a whole series of costs and a whole series of complexities into my business, which is going to actually reduce my margin. I might get extra sales, which is what it used to be all about. My like for likes might be up, but actually overall, my margins are going to be tighter. And in this new world where things are cash constrained, I think that that is something that businesses should really think about cross-functionally saying, okay, we know the, the, the market, the, the customer demand that we want to satisfy, that we are really good at. We want to design a menu and indeed the store layout as well. I don't want to make this more complicated, but what fixtures, fittings, how it looks and feels, we want to satisfy that. Now, but we want to do it in a way that is operationally efficient and and works with the supply chain. So as you design it, have those parties at the table so that you understand the cost implications and the complexity implications as you design it. If you do it that way, I would argue you will, and, and, and allow those functions to challenge, which is something I would put to Frank in a second that didn't used to happen. The, the creative people design stuff and the poor old procurement people, bless them, I know what it's like, they're the guys that have got to run around and then source it all. No, let them at the table, as long as they're smart and qualified, let them at the table and have that debate. And then when you have that debate, you're going to end up with a proposition which is more efficient and more cost effective. Nigel, that's exactly what I was going to say. We should go over to Frank now and talk about what happens in reality. <laughs> so, well, thanks, Caroline. Um, sadly, um, uh, Nigel's, Nigel's recounting of it is, is, is not far off the truth. Um, it, is, it is traditionally in hospitality, it is the creative, um, the creative people. So it's a combination of the, the, the chef and, and, and the marketing team that will come up with, with, a, with, a, you know, with a great idea for, for the next menu or you know, for, the, for the next, you know, next promotion. And then traditionally, um, once they've worked through that, they've tasted the food, they've cooked the food, they've looked at it, they've, as Nigel said, they've bought the plates or the, 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 uh, the other crockery, then it's, then it's handed over to procurement and with, with go source, you know, go, go and get me this and get it, get it for me as cheaply as you possibly can. Or um, that tends to be what, what happens. And I, I think Nigel is right um, because the consequences of, of doing that can be can be quite difficult for an organization because you know you you do get additional lines additional complexity you lose the supplier leverage but sometimes things happen if you if you don't sort of time that correctly with with for instance um your your suppliers when your suppliers contracts come up for renewal so i remember one of the issues that we faced was we'd come up with a new menu in in february but our suppliers, you know, suppliers' contracts would renew in April. So you, you're in the situation where um, you've come up with this great menu, customers love it, and, and everybody's really delighted with it. But then your margin takes a hit a month or two later, and that's because you haven't done you haven't you haven't done this this process that that Nigel has described this this sort of more seamless look across across the business so and i do think and i do think it, it, it is important and, and as, as nigel has, has already said as well that that you know in these times when when we've we've restaurant businesses have sort of you know come through uh what i what i term an existential crisis um when they come out the other side i think it's going to be really important to 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 have this sort of coordinated approach um 
to not just not just to, to the menu but to everything really great i think we will um wrap this session up there i think that idea of a coordinated approach is just a wonderful way to to end um thinking about how people can re-examine their proposition and and considering how people can can work together as, as a wider team to make sure that um, as new ideas come into play um, they're done in the most efficient and effective way possible thanks all this is a charles russell speechley's podcast 